Now this is Hollywood Unlocked. What up, everybody? It's Hollywood Unlocked Uncensored from home. I'm Jason Lee. I'm Melissa Ford, a.k.a. The Curve Queen, at home as well. <laughs> yes, it's DJ Damage. Okay, and listen, we have an icon in here, and I'm, I'm going to start by prefacing this with an icon in, in the most respectful way. Um, and an actress, and together they have now created something that hopefully will get us all through, Ayala Vanza and Tina Lifford. Yes. Hi, ladies. Hello, hello. How are Hi. you? <laughs> so, Ayala, We're we... excited to have you. Yes. Ayala, we need you to fix this podcast, because at this point, we are, <laughs> we are working from home, and although, you know, people like to be in the comfort of their own, their own houses, this is becoming frustrating. I mean, a lot of people are experiencing a lot of stress right now with this whole corona yeah stuff. yeah well the podcast don't have anything to do with the corona that's from our technical handicaps yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I confess publicly i am technically handicapped so <laughs> but you know whenever we think of ayala we literally think you can fix everything i mean I you know. know wanda sykes sent me a text fix my tire <laughs> and you know what and you know what i believe with wanda that you probably could if you wanted to <laughs> but before we got started i had said that um you know i just recently published my first book the title's called god must have forgotten about me which i want to get to you but when my in the book in one of the chapters uh it covers the death of one of my brothers that i had witnessed and i went through a really dark time and um, your book until today was literally the book I feel like that I credit to everybody that I know that got me through because it was literally the book that every single day you get up, it's a new day with a new page that you read that gave you an affirmation to really focus on if you could really get into the depth of what you were saying in each, on each page to help a person make it through and have a positive outlook on life. And so I had one that I kept by my bedside and I had one that I kept on my desk at work and I would just read it every day at home and at work. And then I started just gifting it to people. So I, I wanted to say I'm honored to be able to thank you for that gift because uh, it, it really is a blessing. I even put on my Facebook yesterday, I said, if you haven't gotten it, go get it and get through mm -hmm. this coronavirus by reading that page one day, one page a day. Yeah, well, you know, it's more than the affirmation. It's about the uh, principles that we need to incorporate to go through something like this or just something every day. Um, and I, I thank you for the honor. It's really good to hear a man say that because, you know, people dub me as just being about women. So I'm really, really grateful and, and honored that you as a man found some value in your work. Oh, no, absolutely. And it's something that if people are watching this and listening, if you have never heard of the book or don't have the book and you're a man or a female or one in transition, go get the book. <laughs> yeah, you're um, Miss Ayala, you're definitely a, a cultural icon. And, you know, Jason, I share a similar story to Jason. You know, one of your books was you know, helped me get through a very difficult time in my life. I, I remember it very distinctly walking through the mall, feeling as aimless as I'd ever felt in my entire life. And I walked into a bookstore because books have always kind of been my friends. And I was looking for a book to speak to me. You know, I didn't want to just walk into the self-help section and see a title that just, you know, slapped me in the face like, oh, that's the one. I was looking for a book to talk to me. And the value in the valley was that book. Oh, baby, you know? that's it. <laughs> that's that, the one. 
I, oh, I yeah. want you to know that when I when I took that book home and I started reading it, I had tears streaming down my face. And I proceeded to, I kept dog-earing the book. Literally, this is the copy from 20-something oh years ago. This yeah, is it. Wow. And yeah. I would dog-ear the pages and I would highlight and I would, you know, I, I wrote letters to everybody that I felt like I did not <laughs> communicate my feelings towards. I mean, it's just, it's, you're, you're, you're a wonderful author and you just really are so in touch with the, with the human condition and the human experience and how we're all so much more similar than we are different. Yeah. You know, there's a whole generation of people of youngins, I call them youngins, who don't even do know too. value in the valley. And mm -hmm, so I've been really playing with doing an online course because, as you know, there's some things in there, particularly for us as women, that we yes. need to master in yes. order to get through relationships and mm -hmm. self-awareness. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that book is older than some of my granddaughter's friends. So. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it, but it, it, it is one of those kinds of books that you can pick up all like, you know, at any point that you're any going through some kind of difficulties in life. And it's going to have if there's going to be a theme that relates to what you're experiencing. And that's what I've loved about the book. It's it stayed Amazing. with me like I would never give away the copy, but I have bought it for other friends like Thank Jason you. has. Yeah. I'm so honored. And Tina, you're an you're an uh, actress and an author too, and a playwright. You have your own yes. books. Um, I, I feel good. You know, I call myself an author now. How did you get into <laughs> writing books? I mean, was that something that you always had a passion for? No, not at all. Um, but but before we move into that, I just want to say to Melissa and even you, Jason, when you talk about the impact that. Um, Yanma's book had on you, that's when you know the difference between a self-help book and a calling, you know, a self-help mm -hmm. book and literally your life matching up in that moment with your spirit, with God, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. it literally is speaking right to your soul. And we mm -hmm. all want that, right? We all want to yeah. pick up a book like that. And those of us who are interested in uh, being of service want to write in such a way that our reader is impacted like that. Uh, mm -hmm. For me, writing the little book of Big Lies was the most difficult thing I have ever done. Uh, but it, it actually uh, put me face to face with God and with myself in a humbling way, a way that that broke me open in all the right ways, because I came uh, and before I could leave with the book fully written, I had been stripped of my ego, stripped of pretense, <laughs> stripped of, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, all of those things had to go by the wayside in order for a resonating truth to come forward. And Iyanla um, definitely knows about that. That's and powerful because I know the last time I wrote a book and I said, okay, God, why do I have to experience everything I write about? Can I just write a book? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to play no more. Not <laughs> so I had to 
I had to understand, well, you chose it and that's what you're doing. So I know what you mean, Tina, when you say yeah. uh, it humbles you. Uh, my experience yeah. was with that was Peace from Broken Pieces, which is the first book mm -hmm. I wrote after my daughter passed away. Right. And um, it took me three years to write that book because I refused. I was so disobedient. I said, I'm not writing that. I'm not right. telling that. <laughs> right. Right. But then, right. uh, you know, I had to do it. So I appreciate it. And, I, you know, I hope a lot of times people will write me or say to me, I want to write a book. I want to write a book. And I, okay, go right ahead. Knock yourself out. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, we had, um, we had uh, Jennifer Lewis on our show. And Jennifer Lewis, when we had talked to, to her about her book, and I had read her book on a trip to Hawaii. And then uh, subsequent at the end of that interview, she said to Melissa and I, you both need to write your stories because we had opened up really personal about molest and abuse and neglect and um, just different experiences that we had. And when I started to write my first book, um, I really felt like you have to be vulnerable. You have to be raw. I feel like your books do that, you know, talking about your daughter's death, me having the experience with my brother's death. When you get to that lowest place and you find a way surviving it, you do feel, at least for me, and I'm sure you feel like some sort of, obligation to share that story with the world to help other people that are going through those things, you know, and now I, the feedback that I get, which is the same feeling I have about your book is that um, it, it really helped people with their own healing. Like they're reading their story through my story and to see that I've made it out of that has been something that's transformative. So again, we thank you for your contributions yeah. because I, I, I know that you probably hear this from thousands and thousands of people. Both of you have probably run across a lot of people who love your work, but um you know, it's an honor to be able to meet somebody that's given so much back to me that I don't even know. Mm -hmm. Listen, so which one of yeah. us is going to write the book about this Wahala we sitting in right now? <laughs> <laughs> fix not it, I. Not I. I am not writing it. about this. Okay. <laughs> Actually, you know, it's really um, anybody who's a, a devout spiritual student a uh, long-time spiritual student. And when I say that, I mean you've studied the classical teachers, you've studied spiritual laws and principles from, you know, the ancient, from the classic works. Knew this was coming. Didn't know what it was or how it was going to look, you know. Not so much in the, the traditional Christian terms of, you know, Armageddon and the world is ending. Like a biblical just, plague, et cetera, yeah. yeah. Right. Not so much like that, but knew that there had to be a reset. A reset was coming and that we were being called to have a deeper respect for the earth, for each other. Um, I, you know, so I, I knew it was coming. And it's funny because, I, like I said, I live alone, but I have two refrigerators, one in the house and one in the garage. And they're both full, first of all, because I had food deprivation as a child. So I don't eat the food. I just have to have it. I got to be able to see it. <laughs> and then I always tease. Everybody's always teasing me. And I said, okay, y'all will be sorry when they lock this. This is what I said to them. If when they lock this thing down, all of y'all are going to be coming over here, getting in my refrigerator. <laughs> and that's mm -hmm. exactly what happened. And then I saw the book of Eli several years ago. And I have a whole closet full of moist towelettes because <laughs> in that story, the way he was able to negotiate and navigate what he needed was with moist towelettes. So I got some. <laughs> now I don't have no toilet paper. 
but I got more power left. <laughs> Same. I stacked up on the baby wipes too. Yeah. But Ayala, so you didn't. Ayala and, and Tina, you all didn't stock up on toilet paper, though, right? You didn't get into no. this whole toilet paper craze. You know, I didn't because I didn't even know what was happening. I don't watch the news. So I, it was three days in by the time I found out that the virus was here, it had come, it was setting up shop. And everybody, all the toilet paper was gone by then. Gone, still gone. Can't get it nowhere, nowhere. Listen, I, I went tried to, again yesterday. I went to, and, to buy one roll. I went to order it on Amazon. I'm trying to actually stand in line for toilet paper because yeah. the mm -hmm. stores remain open, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. it, it really wasn't about the toilet paper. But I actually think that um, one of the gifts that um, we all can embrace in these times is, as Iyanla said, not only just a reset for the planet, but yeah. it's time for us to sort of rethink why we're even on the planet, Hello. you know? We have, we have reduced this thing called life to the idea of a job and making some money and fame. And if we don't rethink why we're here, why are we, you know, the, the chances of us being a human being, the odds of that are, you can't even factor them. And yet we are here thinking that we're supposed to be trying to be famous or making a lot of money. But the truth is we're supposed to be here to see how every single moment that we face can grow and expand us into a greater understanding of the infinite itself. And if we use this time, not just our quarantine time for that purpose, but if we use this downtime to just connect with self, we can begin to ask ourselves more meaningful and planet uh, supportive questions. Well, no, I love that. And do you think, though, that 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 because there's a quest for those things that you mentioned, that 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 is part of the reason why maybe some of the uh, uh, younger generation hasn't really plugged into the humanitarian effort of or just the, the collective effort of staying safe, staying away from each other right now and being quarantined, loving from a distance and that that still wanting to go out, be out and, and be lit on social media. Do you think that that's why that's happening? You know, I, I think that our poor uh, young people have been ill, um, have not received the guidance that they needed. You know, they haven't been um, helped to focus on the things that really matter. What matters in their world, you know, is the flash and the and the money and the and the moving so fast that you don't have time to be with yourself. Mm -hmm. But I think that um, we as a community called human beings, we have to go back, we have to reach back, we have to connect with the kinds of, of um, parenting, self-parenting at this point that makes you a strong human being. 
Yeah. You have to, you have to ask, you have to ask why you're here. You have to ask whose you are. Yeah. You have to ask questions that have nothing to do with money. And we have to teach the young people to do that because they're going to be in a disaster like this and not have the, the inner strength to turn to God. They don't even know to turn to a God. They don't mm -hmm. even have the, the notion that there's a force greater than themselves. That's, that's the problem. Well, you know, I, I frequently say that we live in a gumball society where people think that they can take their money and put it where they want and get whatever they want. Um, and I grew up in a time when you had to really work for stuff and you had to have something called character. I grew mm -hmm. up uh, as part Native American, part Yoruba, so I grew up in culture. It was about dance and song and, and respecting elders. So, you know, I have grandchildren and great-grandchildren, and some of, some of the things that I say to them, they look at me like I got two heads. You know? <laughs> and, and they think that just put the quarter in the gumball machine, and if you want a green one and you turn it, mm. and you don't get what the green one, you get an orange one, then you kick and cuss the machine. <laughs> you know, but they don't understand <laughs> about creating or, or taking responsibility. It's, it's very interesting to me. They're all in um, just the gimme mode. But I blame my generation for that. I blame the elders mm. because we got busy doing the very same thing, you know, seeking this and pursuing that. And, and we didn't teach like we used to. Most of what I learned about being a woman, about being a human, about being you know, a teacher, a servant. I learned from my grandmother at the dinner table, but we eat mm. dinner out of styrofoam boxes now or in the back of a car. We don't, mm. you know, I had to teach my grandchildren how to set a table. They didn't know how to set a table. Um, <laughs> so, you know, and things have shifted. I think it was Dr. Naeem Akbar who said that your way of living can evolve, but that your foundational ideology has to remain consistent. So we don't have a foundational ideology as human beings. We just don't have one anymore. Mm -hmm. It's not about being nice. Just get on social media and cuss somebody out, you know? <laughs> Divorce them on the catfishing. I, you know, I, I just, what is, where's this normal human decency? And now that's what we have to learn. We have to learn that. And this thing is teaching us that day by day. Well, yeah, because I feel like we have such an influence, Melissa Ford, Jason Lee, me, DJ Damage. And you say, you know, a lot of things weren't taught. What can we do with our platforms? You know, us being able to speak to, you know, individuals like a younger demographic. To, yeah, to yeah. spread that to a younger demographic. You know, I'm 30 years old and I have people that are coming up under me that follow what I do. How can I spread that message forward? Like, what can I do to be a help for the next generation? Well, you know, you've got to know it, too, about culture, about humanity about character i that's the thing that i think we lost was character just doing the right thing even though nobody's looking where, where did that go you know we, we we've lost that um and I, I i say this you know this is life according to iyamla please don't send me emails okay <laughs> <laughs> 
when I looked at it for me, because you got to remember, I was a Black Panther. Do you do you know what? Do you remember what the Black yeah, Panther? Yeah, yeah, of course, right. man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait, so is that the is that the Black Panther that comes out on Fix My Life? Because that's the only skip. Listen, I've been on Love and Hip Hop. I've been on Wildin' Out. I ain't afraid of nobody. I've met the Boogeyman. I've been shot. I'm afraid of Fix My Life. <laughs> but uh, I grew up in that time when it was you know community and holding on and stuff. And as we, particularly for people of color, um, as we became aware of ourselves as a, as a racial people, as black people, we became black, we became African-American. One of the things that we did was we turned our back on the white man's God. We turned our back on it. You know, with our political astuteness, we didn't want to know Jesus, the white man hanging on the cross, blah, blah, blah. Here's the problem with that. We didn't pick up our own. We didn't pick up our own understanding of God or of the supreme being. So even in the time when we were in slavery or Jim Crow and all of that, we had a solid spiritual foundation, whatever you called it. I mean, the Nation of Islam back in the 60s, they were a cornerstone in our community and the corner church. So we put down the white man's God and we didn't pick up anything to replace it. And I really believe that that is one of the cornerstones in our broken foundation. We don't have a spiritual center. And I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about Christian, Islam, Buddhist. I'm not talking, I'm talking about a spiritual consciousness that we go back to. Yeah, I slept with a married man when I was younger, but you know Me what? Too. I knew I I, <laughs> I knew I was sinning, you know. And I had a I had a check in my spirit about it. I still did it, you know, but I had something that kept me in check. But people will do anything today. And they don't get mm. a check in their spirit because they don't have a spiritual foundation. And it feels like their their spirit is hurt. Also, how do we we heal that spirit? Because I feel like a lot of people lash out that way and not care based on a broken or bruised spirit. A broken or bruised soul. Soul encompasses mm-hmm. the personality. Spirit mm. is your direct link to the Creator. You know, okay. so we have broken and abused souls, souls. because the parents who came up in the 70s, the 80s, the 70s, the 80s, they, they, lost, they, they lost their spirit, you know? And that's when we started assimilating and chasing after this and external was better than internal. So I've been saying it now for 34 years, you gotta do the work. <laughs> so I wanna go, I wanna, I wanna ask you both a question, um, the same question, but I'm gonna start with you, Ayanna, piggybacking on what you were saying about respecting your elders. Hollywood Unlocked has almost 2 million followers. Uh, of course, we like every other publisher posted um, Oprah falling on stage while she was talking about balance. But I, we posted it as news. We didn't post it as a way of being happy that she fell. Um, but the reaction from people online, it, 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 it motivated me to go put another post with my face on it saying, is this what we've reduced ourselves to? Somebody who's contributed so much to the black culture around the world. Uh, I mean, I grew up in the Oprah era. I watched the show every day. Um, I, that's where I came to know you and then followed you and the other people. Um, what was your reaction to people's reaction to that online? 
let me say this. I'm about out of that conversation because, as you know, I um, work for the Oprah Winfrey Network. So the younger generation is so disrespectful. And my spirit can't take it, okay? So anything I say, they're going to consider it. What did they say? Brown nose and boot licking, ass kissing Oprah. I know Oprah Winfrey from a whole nother place. So I'm not, I'm about out of that conversation because I know my comments won't be honored or respected and my spirit mm. can't take that level of energy coming to me. Mm. So I'm just going to bow out of that. Mm. What about That's you, fair. Tina? You know, um, I'm going to follow Iana's lead uh, and, and say this. Uh, my heart goes out to any human being that experiences distress, period. And the first thought, when we see a fellow human being distressed, I would like our first thought to be, are you okay? Can I help? And if we're talking to the younger generation, and it's not just the younger generation, you know, that's, we all can reset and, and remind ourselves that social media, and I'll go so far as to say this, this terrible drug culture that's part of the reason that our morals and character has been undermined. If we want to become more of the spiritual beings that we are birthed to be, if we want to be more aligned with God, then we should be asking ourselves every single day, whenever we can, how can I help? Are you okay? Is this worthy of my time? And is this worthy of my sense of myself and my character? Let me, let me say this, this is a teaching. This is not about Oprah, this is just general. Number one, the fish stinks from the head down, okay? The fish stinks from the head down. It don't stink from the tail up. So we need to look at the head of this fish that we call the United States of America. That's number one. Mm. Number two, what I, you put out comes back. What you put out comes back. It don't matter if you're putting it out to somebody you know or somebody you don't know. So all of those nasty comments that go around, it's coming back to you. And mm -hmm. it's not going to come back the way you get it. It may not come back as a nasty comment, and it's going, but it's going to come back. That's Isaac Newton created that, the law of gravity and and the law, uh, how the laws work, and the universal law is cause and effect. And thirdly, I'll say, I am not my sister's keeper. I am my sister. So when you put something out on Tina, on Melissa, on Oprah, whoever you put it, you're putting it out on me. Because <clears throat> I'm not my sister's I, keeper. I am my sister. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree with that. And and also the, um, you know, it stinks from the, from the head on down. That analogy is 
um, is so apropos right now. I just, you know, I think I'm thinking the same thing the boys might be like, how would you fix Trump's life? Um, you know, because fix the White House, please. <laughs> Get it Everybody's out. looking up. Ayanna, help him out. Well, help I, us. I'm going to t do what I would do to anybody else. When I was personally coaching and when I screen guests for Fix My Life, there's three things that I look for. I don't care what the story is. I look for number one, willingness. Are they willing to do the work? You ain't gonna pass that test. Willing. Okay, you said it, I didn't. Number two, <laughs> <laughs> are they ready? Meaning, does it hurt them bad enough? Does it hurt bad enough that they're willing to do, or are they motivated enough? Are they inspired enough to do whatever it takes? That's number two. Number three, do they have the capacity, mental and emotional capacity to do the work? So I don't care who it is, and I'm the head of this fish. I they fail on yeah the, the the three strikes right there no okay. no no and no okay so yeah. he's his life will not be fixed anytime soon but, but and so the rest of us are, are screwed Alyssa listen mm. to me clutching mm. pearls I know I know I I don't wear pearls but I'm clutching long. mine because I know you about to say something that's gonna make me want to go to sleep after he this is <laughs> us he is showing us who Absolutely. we are Absolutely. and we're so busy focusing on him and being upset with him or supporting him to we're not looking at ourselves. He was elected by the people of this country. Let me just say this. When he first got elected, I said, I had to look at it. Why am I upset? I must have decided wrongly because I am not at peace. So if I'm deciding that he's the problem, let me look at me. He, the, the dishonesty. I've been dishonest. I've done that. The bullying you know, emotionally, psychologically. I've never been a physical bully, but I bullied my partners. I bullied my kids. I bullied friends to get them to do what I want them to do. Switching up my story when I get busted on my stuff. You know, somebody, oh, you said, no, I didn't. Denying what's there. Every single thing he does, I have done. Thank you, Lord, I'm better now. But <laughs> when I realized, oh, okay, I'm just looking at a macrocosm of myself. I've done the work and I've healed it. What am I upset about? But people are so busy looking at him. If you look at what he does, I guarantee you, it's done and husbands do it to wives. Wives do it mm. to husbands. Parents do it to children. Friends do it to each other. It's all over the internet. He is us. Absolutely. And until we get that, That's deep. he will be in But Okay, but, but this is where, for, okay, I'm going to transition now to love from a distance because I'm going to love Trump mm -hmm. from a way far distance. <laughs> far away. This is where I feel like, I hope you're talking about these things on your new podcast, uh, 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 Love from a Distance, because I really feel like there is no source to go to to learn how to think the way you just said that. I've never thought about and I and I do not want to think about being like Trump, but when you yeah. break it, I know. But when you break it down that way, you're like, damn, I did lie last week. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, <laughs> it's just I, I just think the reality of it all is just so unsettling. But I think that goes back to then when you're ready to do the work and really look inside and go, okay, let me let me look at my own stuff first, and then I can see things a little bit more clearly, yeah. right? The hardest thing for the human, and Tina is an inner fitness guru, so I'm going to let her speak to it, but I'm going to say this. The hardest thing for a human being to do 
is to look at their warts and wrinkles. They'd much rather, mm. you know, pull my fingernails out with a hot poker, but have me look at my warts and my wrinkles? Oh, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Would that be accurate, mm. Tina? I, I, I absolutely uh, agree with that. Deep inside of our soul, we have already judged ourselves as wrong, not good enough, and rejected who we are. That's right. And the where, where does that where does that come from? Is that generational or it it it's human? It's yeah. part of just the surviving self. The surviving self has been developing through our nervous system for five hundred million years, and the surviving self doesn't have time to focus on character and elevated thinking. And yet we absolutely house an elevated consciousness, but we got to get to it. So when we accept that we have this tendency towards survival and its behavior and characteristics are really horrible. (laughs) They stand in the way of all of the things that we say we really want. They stand in the way of us feeling a sense of inner safety and peace. They stand in the way of us feeling like uh, we can have joy even in the midst of challenge. They stand in the way of us experiencing ourselves as whole and worthy. Listen, to just Got to you, just, mm-hmm. it's okay to just know that the surviving self exists puts us ahead of the game because now we can begin to deal with ourselves in a way that acknowledges that challenge, but not before we acknowledge our deep and our profound acceptance of self. If we just started saying, you know, I do have Trump in me and I deeply and profoundly love and accept myself even though I am seeing this behavior inside of me. Something inside will relax and say, okay, Mm -hmm. I see that you know who you are, you know where we are, and now we can make new choices. But does that give us permission to love Trump? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because that's just a part. But see, we do the same thing. We do the same thing with ourselves. No, I, I and mean, each we, other. And each we're, other. We're, we're calling it Trump, but, and, and Tina's calling it the surviving self. I call it the ego, okay? But yes. we, we all have that part of us. Where, you know, some of the teachers call it the shadow. So, so the part of us we think is ugly, but we, instead of, instead of owning that part of us, we'll get our breasts done or our face done or we'll dress fancy. There's a part of us that each of us has a part we think maybe is unworthy or less than. But instead of owning and claiming that part of us, you know, we'll stick our chest out and we're going to be better and do better. So we all have it. And what the ego does is it motivates us or the surviving self motivates us to hide that part of us. So what's happening now is it's in your face, baby. It's in your face. And we're pointing at it and we're putting it out there. But if you didn't have it, you wouldn't recognize it. I know a lie. I can smell a lie. I can hear a lie. It, it, makes, my, it makes my nose itch or my, 
something. I was going to say it makes my teeth itch. <laughs> you know, that, and, and, that, and that's why I haven't applied for uh, Fix My Life yet. I ain't ready. <laughs> I think you're ready, Jason. I, I totally not, think you're ready I, for I Ayanna. I think it's tried to, I think that'd be dope. Well, I say, no, I think coming, coming out of the book, I will say having written it on paper and then going back and editing and reading it and then speaking on it in front of hundreds of people who are looking at me and can see through. I mean, you know, I feel like people can see through lies, like they see you and being vulnerable. I think I'm prepared to keep going through that, but I do think there's multiple processes to get to the place where you're speaking, where you can actually like look at yourself and others and say like, I have a lot more work to do. Cause I mean, we all are a work in pro uh, progress, you know, mm -hmm, yeah. but it's, it's overcoming the fear of really doing the work. Damage, can I, I want to just ask you a question because you were talking, how do you deal with the people coming up behind you? So for example, when you see a youngin or even mm. a peer, a contemporary, do something that's totally out of order, do you call them on it right there? Not pointing your finger and screaming, but say, yo, brother, that's, that's all. Let's talk about that. I actually do. Okay. I actually do. That's a demonstration. And, and to be able, because we're so afraid of confrontation. I call it carefrontation. Mm -hmm. Don't let me die. Mm -hmm. Don't let me die. If you see me out here doing something that's dangerous to my mind, my heart, my soul, my body, don't let me die. So that's one of the things, teaching us ourselves that it's okay to call people on stuff, you know, um, is one of the things that we can do. Because what that does is it really challenges the ego, you know that surviving self. And the other thing, let me just add this little drop in. I'm your cultural custodian for the day. So, you know, I'm going to say this for people of color specifically. I haven't been white in this body, so I really don't mm -hmm. know. It could be true for them also. But I'm going to speak to what I know of. We cannot discount our cellular memory. Mm. The mm -hmm. cellular memory is the same memory that carries the texture of your hair, the size of your nose, your lips from your great, great, great grandparents as it's come down and it's been integrated with other families. You have a cellular memory, if you are a person of color, of being oppressed, of being denied, diminished, devalued, uh, dismissed, of being enslaved. It's a cellular memory. And they say Deepak Chopra actually was the one who said it that it takes 14 to 17 generations to clear a spiritual and an emotional gene out of a lineage. So we're now all running to, you know, 23andMe and DNA and understand, oh yeah, I had this, I had that. You know who the people are, but do you know what their history was? Mm. Because it's in you, it's in you, yeah? So we can't discount that either. And the ego will hold on to those diminished, devalued, uh, denied, oppressed parts of you as the rationale for why you can't be the divinity that you are. And so mm. you, you've been very public about losing everything. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, you talked about it from your daughter to... Uh, your partner at the time before we got on, you just lost a partner in January. Um, my cousin's son just committed suicide the other day. And so within this international crisis or the storm, everybody is also going through their own storms and feeling like either they have lost everything or are going to lose everything. How do both of you think about 
that and what do you offer people in terms of hope to be able to keep moving? I think it's really important for, again, each one of us to commit to a certain amount of uh, accountability to self. And another word for that is self-love. And it's important for us to actually uh, take time and ask hard questions, hard because they're uncommon questions. Like, who do I want to be? How do I want to feel? How do I want to impact the world around me? How do I want to impact my family and friends? What do I want to be said about me? For us to take time and actually, instead of making the world and the crises that we're going through right this moment, the point, turn that attention, we all are quarantined right this moment, turn that attention inward and begin to ask ourselves, who can, who do we want to be? Because if you ask that question, it will open up the door to the divine self that is waiting to actually help us find that path. The path is there. The path belongs to us. We can reclaim ourselves from anything, but it takes a lot of work and you need community and you need teachers and you need commitment to get there. You know, I um, thank you for that, Tina. Thank you. I uh, do a Facebook Live every morning. I've been doing it. Today was the 10th day. What time is that? 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'll be there tomorrow. (laughs) Because I know people are freaking, freaking out. The question I heard you offer us was, you know, what do you tell people who are afraid of losing anything? What I learned from losing everything, my home, my daughter, my husband, my contract with a national publisher, all my money in the bank, only thing I had was a car. Thank you, Jesus, I had a car. Because I could sleep in it, I could eat in it. <laughs> you know, I was grateful for my car. But what I learned is none of this is mine anyway. This is temporary. This mm. is temporary. All of it I bought you know, or was given to me. And if I got it once, I can get it again and probably something Mm. better. So it's our attachments. It's holding on. Mm. And until we learn how to do this, you know, until we can surrender everything, what I want to keep, what I want to enjoy, what I want to embrace, what I want to stand in, stand for, is the I am of Iyamla. You understand? That's what I want to stand for. I can, I'm you really to hit the, <laughs> go ahead. I was going to say, no, you really hit the, hit the nail on the head just in terms of, um, you know, loss and the perception of loss versus the fact that we're, we're, everything is not, it's, it's borrowed. It doesn't belong to us. I mean, I was just in, um, an, a near death car accident less than, um, two years ago and it completely transformed the way that I looked at the world, just in terms of my level of, um, you know, my sentimentalism, you know, like how I viewed material things, how I viewed relationships that I had. And it just, I, I had to redefine who I was to myself when that happened. And what completely left me was um, any sense of materialism, any sense of wanting to hold on to Attachment. anything. <laughs> the attachment to something because it 
it would in itself own me. Yeah. And that was one of the most difficult lessons to have to experience as it's happening and as I'm redefining who I am to myself. It was, um, I wouldn't, it's a hard process. I'm glad I went through it, but boy, it's, it, it was, it was challenging. So you're, so you're absolutely right when you Look when you at what happened in the Bahamas. Mm -hmm. Those people woke up one morning, everything was gone. You know, or you yeah. look at Haiti, what happened a few years ago, look at Puerto Rico, what happened. So it's our attachments that create our suffering. And mm -hmm. one of the most difficult things that's going to happen, I think, for us right here is is the fact that we are the change is coming and we're going to have to give Massive up a change. lot, a lot, you know, and people who need their their titles and their uh, their belongings to have value i'm gonna be yamla if i'm in a, living in a tent under a tree and somebody comes i'm gonna coach them i'm gonna teach them <laughs> you know i'm hoping i have my books in the little tent with me you know? <laughs> but it, you know people are worrying about uh, they ain't got no job they don't have no money Many years ago, my teacher taught me how to fast for 40 days. Do you know there's people that ain't going to be able to go through a day without food? I can fast for 40 days if I got some water, okay? Yeah. That's the kind of discipline that we need to be dealing with. That's the kind of energy that Tina's talking about. You worrying about losing your house. What happens if we can't get in the stores or the supply trucks don't come? You, What you going to do? Mm -hmm. You don't have your uh, Chinese food or your... A burrito or your whatever. People can't even pass. They can't get through or, or, three or days you, without or, eating. Or if you're worried about staying in the house, there's people that don't even have a house. So okay, yeah. right? That, right? But see, that's mm -hmm. the piece. Let me yeah. tell you the thing that was most upsetting to me about this entire thing. When I heard that there were over three hundred thousand children in the United States depending on their breakfast and lunch. From school. From school. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That mm -hmm. thing broke my heart. We've got mm -hmm. 600, is it 60 or it must be 60, 60 million acres of land in this country dedicated to golf courses mm -hmm. where people pay to go hit a ball with a stick. But 300,000 children have to go to school to get breakfast and lunch. There are people walking around in $1,000 shoes that they can cross their legs so you can see the, that the bottoms of them are red. And we can't feed our children? And we looking at Donald Trump? See, that's a problem. I got a problem with that. <laughs> I got a problem with the level of food scarcity. So in my book, I, I credit Dr. Phil and Oprah for helping me get through uh, along with your book, the death of my brother, uh, uh, Phil, they had had somebody on the show, the woman's daughter had died. They, uh, Oprah had asked her, well, now that you've told the story, what are you going to do? The, the lady said, well, I planned on going home and killing myself. And Dr. Phil said, uh, why are you choosing to live in the moment your daughter died and not celebrate all the years that she I lived? I remember that. I remember Beautiful. that. Beautiful. That like that literally stopped the mourning that I, I had mourned for 10 years. I was in a deep depression and I it was like a light switch that went off. So I believe these conversations, somebody somewhere gets something, right? Melissa, um, her mother right now has can stage four cancer and your mother passed from cancer. Um, and so I'm not sure if there's a word you could give her to help her with where she is now and then coming through that because, you know, um, she's been, you know, struggling with that. Melissa's been struggling or her mom has been struggling? 
I, I'm, my mom is, she's a Russian Norwegian. She's like a Viking. She's strong. She's stoic. You know, I've been the one that has been prematurely mourning. I've been thinking about what life will look like without my mom. And it's, it's unimaginable. So like in terms of Jason's absolutely right. I'm, I'm always looking for the wisdom of others who have gone through something as traumatic as what I know is on the horizon for me when it, when it comes Why to Why is that mom. traumatic? Uh, help me understand that. Why are you seeing that as traumatic? Your mother started dying the day she was born. We're not born. I know. I guess, I, I guess because we, we don't really look at things like that. Number one. And number two, I think that we look at ourselves as um, we look towards our parents as our anchors, you know, what anchors us to the earth, what makes me, me. And it's where we've come from, you know, and I, I was blessed enough to have both my parents in my life um, until, you know, my dad passed away when I was almost 16. And my mom is just, she's my mom, you know, but, mothers are special. Um, uh, you, uh, yes, you know, I you're know. one. Um, yeah. I didn't have one, but I am one. I'll tell you what mm -hmm. helped me with Jamia when I lost my daughter. Mm -hmm. See, I I get that children bury their parents. That's that's just the mm -hmm. natural order. Parents burying their children raises a whole nother issue. And the thing that I learned mm -hmm. is that when a woman loses a child, it changes who she is at the core of her being. Because mommy's supposed to fix the boo-boo and make everything better. And when you're watching your child die, and when they take the child and put it in a box and put that box in the ground, and you are mommy, and there's nothing you can do about that. It changes who you are. But this is what helped me, Melissa, with Jamie. Mm -hmm. I, I, I went to bed. She died on Christmas Day. We mm -hmm. buried her on the December 30th. And I went to bed, and I didn't get up until May 10th. Mm -hmm. And I got up on May 10th because in all the weeping in the morning, holding my pistol to blow my brains out, I, I remember that Dr. Phil show, Jason, because I remember that. And, you know, and I said, okay, God, what do I need to do? Help me, help me, help me. And this is what I heard. Release the physicality. Hmm. You are suffering because you are holding on to the physicality. What did she teach you? What did she give you? How did she love you? Hold on to that and release the physicality. I'm telling you, I got up out of the bed that day and I never mourned again. I miss her every day. I, I, I talk about her every day. But once I released the physicality and I started thinking about the depth of our relationship and she taught me not to mix my metals don't wear a silver necklace and gold earrings. That's just tacky. <laughs> you, know? Mom told me <laughs> you know, she taught me how to, how to match my colors. She was the mm. curator of the line of body products that I have, Masterpiece. But it was in my mm. attachment to the physicality. I want to hear, I want to see her, I want to hear her. That caused my suffering. So I will say to you, Melissa, what did she teach you? Mm. Can you demonstrate that? How did she love you? Release the physicality, release it. And you will find that your heart will open and that your mommy will always be with you. She really will. And I, I right. would love, you, you know, no, um, ahead, I, I would ahead, love to, to share Melissa that when I lost my brother, 
from a drug overdose two weeks out of rehab. My father and my dog, my first dog, all within six months of one another. The thing that was shocking to me was that I could ask God, I could open myself to the idea that I could experience this differently than the way I have imagined and assumed that I'm supposed to feel. And by just making room for something outside of the way it should be experienced, I might very well experience something mystical and wonderful. And that was my experience. But again, you know, part of the, the spiritual walk is that we must dare in the face of everything we know, in the face of all of our conditioning, in the face of all of our, you know, beliefs about how life works, the truth is we don't know. Mm-hmm. And so if in those moments of not knowing, we are willing, that's Iyanla's wonderful word, if we are willing enough to reach beyond ourselves and our surviving self or ego and mind, just reach. You don't even have to know what you're reaching for, but just be courageous enough to reach. Ask for support and it will be shown. Yeah, It happens every time. Let me just say this because my my time is running uh, short. Um, One of the reasons that we are doing Love from a Distance, this podcast Mm -hmm. is, like I said, I do a Facebook Live every morning at 10 o'clock, but I can talk to people, but they can't talk to us. So one of the Mm -hmm. things about we have this separation, we want to do Love from a Distance so that we can hear from people because people are still dying of cancer. People are going through a divorce. People's are still having uh, substance abuse issues. And so not only is that going on, but now you can't touch nobody. People won't even look at you. I went in the CVS the other day and the man, not only did he jump back, he lowered his head. I said, you can't get it through your eyes, beloved. (laughs) First of all, I don't have it, but you can't get it through your eyes. We won't even look at each other. Uh, There was a post made in the hallway at my building yesterday delivering food, and I walked all the way to the other side of the room and looked down. I know. So what? that's why we're doing love from a distance. We want to have some interaction just like we've had here today. And I'm just honored I'm, I'm not only to be with uh, Tina and just the depth of her wisdom and her heart. Um, she really is an inner fitness guru and you really do need to read um, the little book of big lies. I'm, 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 yeah, I'm going to be tuned in your Facebook live. Okay. And um, also to the show, because I was wondering about the title Love from a Distance. It's just, it's, it's very convenient right now. Um, And I wondered if that played a role in the title, but I'm thinking that no, it didn't. Well, it did because how, how do we love? I mean, I'm loving on y'all right now. I love it. 
three youngins in front of me, you know, I'm just happy <laughs> to be here. And how do we do more of this? Can families do Zoom calls? Have they done them? Can they do Skype calls? Me, my girlfriend and her children were playing Monopoly on Skype. <laughs> okay. They were playing Monopoly on Skype. Everybody was moving the pieces for every. I mean, this is this has given rise to so much creativity. So if yeah. we would, as Tina said, just be willing to stretch beyond, there's another way of looking at the world. And we need to start doing that. My message on Facebook Sunday, you can go back and listen to it, was how are you going to do your time? How are you going to do your time right now? You know, some people go to jail and come out with a college degree. Others go to jail and come out trying to do better what they did that got them in there in the first place. How are you going to do your time right now? That's a question. Are you going to do it worrying and about what you might lose? Because if you're going to lose it, this and you're worrying ain't going to stop it. You know. Where where do they join you at? Where can they find the podcast? Um. Uh, well, there's a link, but we don't have it, but we'll get it to it's you. Okay. www.lovefromadistance.info. Okay, if you perfect. go to that link, you'll be able to register. See, I'm home. And, you know, when mama can't be home, grandma has to take over. So this is my great grandson right Look here. Say, hi. hey. Say, hey. <laughs> oh, I wish I could see him. Well, I mean, do, do we have time for one more question? Yes. He was in the I'm chair. So sorry. Thank you so much. He was. He's been in the chair all the time. I've been with y'all, and he said enough. Okay, I'm done. I'm done with that. He's putting on his hoodie. Okay, go ahead. Yes, one more question, my love. I'm so sorry. Just you one know, more. reading Jason's book and seeing how he lost his mother and his father figure, which was his big brother, seeing what uh, Melissa's going through right now. I have a strained relationship with my mother. I was. Um, I'm one of six, and I was adopted, and we just have a strained relationship. And you talk about love from a distance. Do you have any advice, quick advice on us kind of mending our relationship and steps to take to kind of bring that love together? Because I have so much love for my birth mother, but it's it's strained. And I feel like at this point in time, you know, watching the situations that's going on with the people I work with, I do I don't want to take that for granted that I have the opportunity to build a relationship. So if there's any advice y'all could give to kind of mending bringing that together let me say this because he's getting restless and then i'll leave it <laughs> i'll leave you to tina it's not it's the judgment you have to forgive beloved you're judging her you're judging what she did is wrong or how she did it you're judging her and i think one of the greatest breaks the human psyche experiences is the break between the child and the mother when that when that bond is broken it's 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 just like uh, Bernie Mac used to say, it cuts you to the white meat shows. <laughs> so I would say if you can find the judgment, you know, she shouldn't have, she was wrong, she did this, she should have, she should have, she could have, why didn't she, all of those judgments. And you can forgive those judgments because that's what stands between you and the experience of love. Sometimes moms, you know, no matter what, I had all of my kids with me. I had my first one when I was 16 and I kept them all. And they're still, they still blame me for their level of crazy. Okay. Mom is going <laughs> to get it no matter what. We're just the usual suspect. But this is what I would say to you. Even if your mother gave you trash, if she gave you garbage to eat, I want to guarantee you this. 
that she walked five blocks out of her way to go to the good side of town to get the best garbage she could find. And she walked back and she brought it to me. Because in her way as a mom, even if it was trash, she wanted you to have the best. Now you can judge her for giving you trash, but love her because she was willing to walk five blocks out of her way to get the best trash she could find. If you can remove the judgments, baby, your heart will open. Your heart will open. Well, that was powerful. Listen, we're going to tune in and keep sharing the podcast to all of our followers. We get we have almost a billion minutes watched on YouTube and we have followers who are engaged. I think uh-huh. more millennials need to really plug into this. And I would ask Ayanla and Tina, if you guys are in rooms that were not yet, we would love to figure out a way to bridge the gap between the millennials that we reach and the wisdom for the people like you, like Tina, like Oprah, like a Dr. Phil, because it's this younger generation that like I'm at home with anxiety because of the younger people online that I'm watching, not really tapping into what we all are going through as one, you know? And I feel like there, there is that gap missing. And if we could, I mean, that gap is there. If we could figure out how to bridge that gap, especially with our people would be powerful. Listen, anytime you need me, maybe we should do wise woman Wednesday and I'll come on on Wednesday and just let the young people (laughs) ask me some questions, you know, done. Done. (laughs) Because they're all excited that you both are here today. So we're going to let you go. And we appreciate you. And I'm going to get my books to both of you. And we love you. And we honor you. Thank you. Thank you. What up, YouTube? Thank you for watching this reckless show. Yeah, and hit that subscribe button. And don't forget to hit the notification bell. And also don't forget to share and leave a comment because we are reading.